Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Today on the Tech Sales Show, we have Sheree Fields, a real customer. This is our first interview with a customer, and it will not be our last. What a great conversation. Sheree is an executive who buys from tech sellers and literally is very open about how she approaches vendors and resellers. We laugh a lot and reflect on all the bad and some good she has seen in her career. Sheree tells us all why she doesn't answer her phone anymore and why we have trained her and every other customer to buy at certain times. They actually plan their RFPs around the vendor's end of year. Cherie will forever be my mentor and friend. This is a must listen. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So today's interview is with Cherie Fields. Cherie, thanks for joining us today on the Tech Sales Show. Thank you, Bobby. So Cherie and I have worked together, I would say it's going on at least 10 years. She was a customer of mine at Microsoft. She was a CEO, CIO for a local town, local customer here in town. And I was her Microsoft rep. I, I don't know if it was the first time we met or a few times after, but I, I know I've came up some stairs on some crutches. I ruptured my Achilles. I'll never forget how tired I was when I finally got to your office on crutches. Right, that was uh, our first meeting, I, I believe, and I felt sorry for you. Maybe. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I felt sorry for you because you could have sold me anything that day, but I think that was just a get acquainted day. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I'm going to start using crutches on all my first meetings. That's the best tip that we've ever had on the Good Tech Sales Show. Oh, yeah, no, but let's end it there. Let's end it here. <laughs> I'll never forget that day, and I'll hope to never be on crutches again. But since then, uh, maybe it was the sympathy of the crutches. We've been close ever since, and uh, in many capacities. I tell everybody that you are on my board of directors for my career. You've been a mentor of mine. You've been a close friend. You've been a customer again, uh, and uh, a great, a great acquaintance of mine for many years. Well, it's been a pleasure for me as well, and uh, you are kind of the epitome of the the best salesman uh, I've ever had. Um, and and I say that because you've been completely unselfish with your time. I remember the time I was over in Scotland trying to make a good impression with the executives in Edinburgh, and I needed some help to show them collaboration and, and what it would do for them if we, we did the investment on an EA for Microsoft. And you spent the entire evening working with your technical uh, support and put together a nice little video clip that I was able to share the next day. So I'll never forget that, and it made an, an early, lasting impression of what a great salesperson would do for their customer. I had forgot about that, but now that you mentioned it, I do remember it. And I think we talk about it on a lot of interviews, uh, and a lot of perennial sellers do just that. They're not worried about their commission. They're worried about making the customer successful. And wow, what an impact that clearly makes. 
Absolutely. And it, it really kind of pays back on multiple levels. Um, you know, I've, I've had salespeople that, that worked uh, for me on a charity day for Hurricane Harvey. And, you know, I always have more time for someone like that that will give of their personal time for me or my organization. And, you know, I, I make that extra time for them on the return as well. So I thank you for that. And it's been a, a great uh, uh, friendship throughout the years. So, Cherie, you and Bobby have obviously had the chance to work together over many years. Um, it'd be great just to, if you could share your kind of your backgrounds. Um, I, I was doing the research on you ahead of the interview, and I, I noticed that you started off your career at Deloitte early on. So, would love just to get your, your thoughts on moving from a big four um, into IT leadership and uh, how you got into the industry. Oh, thank you, Brian. Yes, um I had actually started uh, in industry and then went into consulting through um, my SAP background. And it was at a kind of an, a, a pinnacle point where there was a lot of jobs out there and not a, a lot of people with skills. So I was uh, recruited first to KPMG and I moved over to Deloitte because of my, my uh, relationship I had with them as a customer. And I always had a, a, a good relationship with the leadership there and enjoyed spending uh, my career there and, and left as a partner. Um, it was a great experience and sitting on one side of the table and then coming into uh, back into industry and understanding what it's like to be on the other side of the table uh, was quite a shift. I, I wanted to become a CIO in my career and uh, was happy that I got a, a chance to do so through the next job, which was XPro. And uh, originally, we were just doing a startup. It was supposed to be a, a 60-day implementation, and we would be in and out. And the company grew by acquisition mode for two years and then, then was bought by XPro, and they gave me the opportunity to do that CIO role. But as I was going through that, getting into more of a vendor management role than I had been in the past, it was uh, very revealing to me that it, it's critical to surround yourself with talent not only on the inside but also on the outside. So getting the right salesmen in your, your um, agenda to help you direct the ship, so to speak, to stay on top of things technically is important. That's great. Yeah, it's great feedback and an interesting story too. So what you know, we, we always joke about this being a, a challenging industry that's full of change and um, there's ups and downs. What's kind of kept you in the technology um, industry and in IT leadership in general? It's very exciting because there's always new things going on. And my current role, I'm, I'm a senior IT director and took over security a couple of years ago. And security is one of those things that's always been there, but now it's even more important as there's so many cybersecurity attacks out there. And I wasn't afraid of, of taking on that that extra responsibility, but it is a scary area to, to deal with. And there's so much to learn and so many acronyms and, and so many new attacks and, and ways that threats are presenting themselves. So I guess I've always really liked change, and it's an opportunity in, in the technical realm to always have a beginning, a middle, and an end, even though you're keeping the lights on, so to speak. So what what exactly is your role today? You said security. Uh, I think I see on us on LinkedIn your SAP as well. What 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 yeah. kind of is the overall umbrella that uh, you manage today? 
So I manage all of our enterprise applications, which includes our ERP and CRM, um, parts of the Microsoft uh, umbrella, as well as, uh, you know, we have SAP. And then, um, you know, some of the third-party applications that we've added to our landscape to support the primary corporate areas, so procurement. Um, I, I support plant maintenance. I support uh, legal and compliance, finance, um, supply chain, kind of all over. Um, I also support the enterprise security application area. So um, I have a counterpart that works on the manufacturing side of our business and then one that supports the infrastructure and service desk. So a question I would assume all of our uh, tech sellers are interested in hearing about, like how attacked by account executives are you in your current role or maybe as the CIO at Expro? I was told by the receptionist recently that 80% of the calls that she gets, cold calls, are for me. And wow. so it has um, been inundating, especially in this company for some reason, and I think LinkedIn probably happened around the same time frame, and it could be the title. But I get uh, so many cold calls, I've stopped answering my desk phone. And unless I absolutely know who's calling, I'd never pick it up. You mean you don't return all those phone calls before the end of the day? No way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I'm sorry to say. Uh, you know, and, and um, you know, I think the biggest time waster has been trying to answer the phone. Um, the emails are absolutely crazy. And, uh, you know, people that are really clever sometimes get my attention with how they word their email, but generally I just feel like they're admonishing me for not getting back to them. So I, I tend not to. I'm sure it's a lot become a lot, a lot more like clickbait almost nowadays to just try and get you to spend two seconds thinking about them. Um, I try to be exactly. cognizant of that, but it's got to be crazy. With that said, how would you characterize the average account manager? How does he or she approach you know, you, that you actually gets your time, how do they approach you? And then how would you grade their preparation for that, that meeting that they ultimately do get with you? Well, I think the average account manager that we have some sort of relationship with is, is generally driven by what contracts are coming up for renewal or, you know, what quarter they're in and, and how they desperate they are to get a sale. Um, the ones that really stand out for me are the ones that keep a, a constant relationship warm so that when there is a, a quarter close or a special deal out there that I'll, I'll give them that time because there is a relationship that we've, we've already given each other a certain amount of respect, um, you know, to uh, do a deal. So um, for me, the ones that try to stay way ahead of the game before we get down to the contract renewal date uh, are the ones that I'll spend the most time with. And, and make sure that I close the deal in time for them to get their bonus. So it could be just a lot of marketing speak. I'd love to get your opinion on this with, with new books mm -hmm. out and training around things like the challenger sell. Um, it feels like the industry is shifting a bit from account managers that were, you know, very much just wanted to maybe buy you lunch to get your time. Um, really kind of more relationship focused, but they maybe didn't have a lot of content or material or value to bring to the relationship to where I think what we, we tend to see more often now is that IT leaders such as yourselves expect that. They expect the account manager to 
to bring some value, to bring some knowledge to the to the partnership. Have you seen that shift at all, or is that does it feel like that's just more marketing speak than anything else? Well, I would say that it depends. <laughs> is the consulting yeah. answer? Um, you know, there are certainly. Um, certain vendors that will bring us, uh, you know, new bucks that come right out of school and, and they seem to have a lot of energy, but not a lot of substance yet because they haven't really understood the product that they're selling. And then in other cases, you know, I, I see that they take the time to actually understand what your business problems are. And, and those are the ones I think that will make it because they're, they're really trying to translate that into value and, and values where, um, you know, it gets my attention when someone says, you know, what are your pain points and, and really tries to demonstrate to me how they can bring value to our company. Yeah. So then let's, let's kind of step back a little bit if we can, because I can appreciate now that you're overwhelmed with phone calls. Let's say that let's go back maybe to a time perhaps at Expo where, um, well, maybe it was just as busy in terms of phone calls, but whenever you, you maybe would pick up a call, what's something somebody that may be prospecting into you to try to set up a first meeting with you. What's something interesting that they might say or do or put into an email or was it less about them and more about the product they were selling that maybe piqued interest with you? Like how did someone get your attention back when you did have the bandwidth to, to take a new prospecting meeting? Well, you know, a lot of times I would give that time to trade shows. Um, and a lot of times I would, I would go through an aisle, um, not necessarily shopping for anything specific, but kind of looking at what they have to say, who they may be already talking to as an organization that might be like um, industry sector to mine. And, and uh, I've actually found two or three solutions that way, which would be completely cold. Um, that ended up being long-term solutions that I still use today. Um, generally, when people would call, um, you know, there there had to be some sort of um, likeness to a problem I was trying to solve for me to give them a whole lot of time. But you know, I, I made the occasional lunch and and made the occasional meeting set up just to see if there was something that long-term might develop. And it really had to do with, um, you know, the way the person presented themselves and the way they, they presented their company. Um, it does help if they have a brand that is recognized, but it's not necessary. In the last two questions ago, you mentioned if, if, a, if a vendor was going to bring you a deal. I'm curious, how, how much has the sales community and vendors in general trained people like you to just wait for a deal? we we have an internal conversation about that all the time um you know especially with our procurement managers and i think in this particular company i'm in uh, we have a better relationship with procurement than i've ever seen anywhere and that we are are collaborating on the new deals that we're planning to set up in the next quarter all the time and we always figure out you know when is the fiscal year in for them that's going to be the best deal and and when is the next uh you know end of quarter we we know that we're going to be pressured into an end of quarter deal and so we try to gauge our our timing around rfps and the whole process around that because uh you know that's that's how we've been trained by our vendors yeah i think that's something for the listeners to heed like customers aren't 
stupid, I guess is the only real world to use. They know when your end of quarter is, they know uh, what your end of year is, and they're going to do what's best for their companies to exploit those things. I, I knew it was something we had trained everyone to do, and it's obvious by our revenues, no question, and it's obvious by, by my book of business as well. Um, so I guess we've talked a little bit about some of the positives or pluses of an account executive. I'd love to hear a story or two, but it, as it reference to this question, you know, what, what is an account manager? What does great look like? And then can you tell us other than the stories I paid you to tell about me, can you tell some of the stories of <laughs> other great reps and what they've accomplished or did for you? Yeah, I, I can, I can definitely do that. Um, you know, I, I have a, a, a great long, long-term relationship with a VP over at SAP, and he used to be an account manager, and he's risen um, over in that organization, I think much because of his personality and um, his willingness to do the right thing at the right time. So, um, you know, I've, I've had a need for an application that was way out of our industry. We were only going to use a fraction of it, and I'm like, what can you do for me here? And, you know, he came back with an insane deal, um, and we have this rug doctor comment that we use all the time now when, when we're uh, talking about the next deal. But, uh, you know, that was his thing, and, and uh, it wasn't just because he, he gave me a good deal once. It's because he's maintained a relationship over the years. We still ask each other about our families, and, and um, you know, we've kept up with what's going on in our lives. So I, I think that is the key to a great sales relationship because he's in it for the long time. He's not in it for, you know, the sale. And, and that's where, um, you know, even if I, I look at, um, uh, you know, working with you, Bobby, it's, it's not in it for the short term, uh, engagement. It's in it for the long term, And, and that's exceptional. You're not going to find that every day, but it really has to, it goes back down to motives and, and what a person's motivations are. And if they want to be truly great at being in sales, then they need to work on the relationships with their, their customers. Yeah. This came up in a recent interview that, uh, we had, and it truly is about the short game and the long game. I, I see it all the time where reps are worried about their quarter Obviously, we clearly have trained you all, um, but then they—they're they, not worried about the next quarter. They're not worried about your success long term. They're not worried about being there in three or four years because they've already got in their mind that they're going to move on. They're going to either take a different product, different company, whatever. And I can't tell these young guys and girls around me enough: you're going to cross paths with these people. I mean, I still talk to people that I haven't talked to maybe in four or five years from a different company, but I'm still interacting with them. IT is a small world. And in Houston being fourth or fifth largest city in the United States, I still run into people weekly that are in our industry that I don't maybe call on today, but I may call on them again in the future. So it's a big, big tip for everybody to, to, to think long-term, not just short-term for sure. So true. So we talk a lot about also self-awareness, situational awareness uh, for account executives. In, in our interview last week with uh, the Dell, uh, with Bonnie, who kind of leads up the, the Dell training, EMC training, um, she talks a lot about listening. But what, and, and maybe that's it for you too, but what do most account managers fail to pick up on in a meeting? Let's say that they're doing a, a general review with you, or let's say that maybe it's a new prospect meeting for them. Is there something that's from a self-awareness situational stand, uh, standpoint that they tend to miss? Is it is it all about listening? 
I think listening is a great uh, skill and, and underestimated for sure. But it, it's also about making sure, um, I think, to ask for feedback. Um, I had a, a recent sales rep that heard a situation that, that wasn't about him. And he said, well, what am I doing? Am I, am I meeting your expectations? And, and I said, absolutely. But thank you for asking. Because the thing is that, you know, you can go into a situation thinking that you're doing a great job. Here I've given you this nice binder and, and, and given you a nice review and walk away. Or you can say, did this meet the mark? What could I do to give you a better overview of how – we're partnering together. And, and I think that's where you really don't assume that you've already got it all figured out. You need to make sure that you're asking for coaching on a regular basis. And, and that goes for everybody. Um, but I think that was one of the things that hit me. Um, maybe not a, a senior sales rep yet, but he understands that and he's working on those things to, to get better. Yeah, that's a common thread with also the people we've interviewed that are sellers. Nadine talked about it a lot, always asking for feedback. She's a pro in place, but she still asks her SEs, her vendors, her partners, her customers. She's always seeking that feedback, and I know that that's why Nadine's as good as she is. So, great comment. I guess we had a we had a, a series early on called, called Meeting Prep for that very first meeting. How, how would you grade the average meeting from a sales rep to you, Cherie, and your team when they first get to meet with you? Would you, on a scale of one to 10, what would be the number you would give on how well those meetings are ran by vendors? <laughs> well, in an, a mean average might be a five, but I will say there have been some great ones. Um, the ones that, that did their homework before they came to meet with me understood maybe a little bit about my background, understood our, our company, our industry, and, and what our pain points were, and did a little background and reconnaissance around um, past sales and trends with our company, came in with that kind of feedback and, and had that at the top of their mind. I, I've been really impressed with how organized they were and ready to uh, get to know each other. Um, the ones that waited till they got there and just wanted to take you lunch, um, not as impressed. Sheree, how many how many of those reps would you say knew the revenues of the company or had read an, a quarterly earnings report, would you say? Probably three out of ten. Yeah, that's a, if, yeah. about what we would expect. And it's a shame because all that data is out there on the web. All they got to do is spend a little bit of time. You're a proof case that, that, that you appreciate that. You like them to understand that and not have to teach them about your business. It's all out there. It's not that hard to do. Prepare for your meetings, people. I guess to that point, can you tell us a story about the worst meeting you've ever had or one of the worst meetings you've ever had? Well, I think I'm going to tell you about the worst phone call I ever got. So I, I got a cell phone call around 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. And the salesman asked me if he could come fishing in my pond. And I, I, I just thought, what in the world is this guy thinking? He has an, a nice home. He lives in Glenlock Farms. He probably has ponds over there with his golf course. Why is he asking me to do this? And, and this came about a week after a July 4th party that we had. And he had invited himself. Just for clarification yeah. real quick, I live in Glenlock Farms, so I don't want everybody to think I'm both the best and the worst. So just for the record, everybody that's listening, I wanted to clear that up real quick. This is not a story about yeah, Bobby Dawson. 
it was not you. It was not you. So, so uh, I thought, you know, why is he asking me to do this? Are they that broke? I mean, is is he at the point where he needs to feed his family? He had asked to come over on July 4th. I said, okay. And we had, you know, 50 plus people here of employees and friends and family. It was no big deal. But he made himself at home. He had five kids. They started cleaning fish in my kitchen at 11 p.m. that night while people were still, you know, filtering in and out. And, And I couldn't get over the fact that, he forgot who the customer was and he way overestimated the relationship and he didn't know his boundaries. So I just advise people to keep their crazy at home. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cherie, we're going to jump into rapid fire questions. Uh, this is our okay. second time to do this. So, um, we'd love everyone's feedback on this. Okay. So, um, I'll hit a couple and then we'll, we'll kind of switch back and forth here. So, Feel free to answer as briefly or as in-depth as you'd like to. Uh, the first one is, what's the worst sales call you can remember getting? And that can be whether it was via phone or in person. I had an introductory call with um, a new account rep who wanted to take me to lunch. And he spent the entire lunch talking about everything he did poorly from um, – he, he couldn't fly a plane. He couldn't ride a motorcycle. He Basically, at the end of the, the lunch, I called his boss and said, are you kidding me? He can't sell because he can't do anything. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely, people need to figure out that you know they shouldn't share all their dirty laundry with their customer. And that, that was my first impression of the guy. Love it. All right. Second one is, when a salesperson did call on you, and you took the meeting and you thought, there's no way I'm going to do business with this with this company or with this person. But then somehow in that meeting, they wowed you in some way and you ended up uh, building a business relationship with you. What, If that's occurred, what changed your minds? Um, what kind of got you over the hump to do business with them? So I met a salesperson at a trade show. And I admit I was hitting the booth to just enter for prizes and really had no plan <laughs> to uh, employ any of the professional services firms I was putting my business card in. But uh, there was an, uh, a particular booth, an energy and enthusiasm of, of really the whole team, but uh, one particular person there named Michael made a, a long-lasting you know, relationship out of the deal because he listened. He got me to tell him a lead of, of one of the roles that I was looking to fill. And he followed up very quickly with very solid candidates. You know, I told him, look, I don't want a whole bunch of resumes. I, I really only want people of this particular caliber with these many uh, years of experience, and, and please don't waste my time. So he, he took that to heart. He actually did that. He only gave me a couple of resumes, but they were really solid, and we ended up giving them uh, business that time and then in the future as we needed other uh, professional uh, consultants to come in. So I would say, you know, it, it's all about listening, as you said earlier, and, it, and it's really about hitting the mark and, and doing the right thing. Next question. Who has been your longest standing tech seller, name or no name, and why? Well, for me, it's SAP because I've been in that world for over 20 years. And so <laughs> I would say you get pigeonholed at some point with ERP packages, and, and they actually shop for that when, when you take IT leadership roles. So, um, you know, I, I would say it's that. And I've had a lot of interesting account managers with SAP over the years, but the best ones took the time to get to know me, my background, my company, 
um, you know, we shared family dynamics and, and we worked every deal like it was important. So it didn't matter really what the budget was. It was, it was just about what was the best value for me. There were times where honestly they aren't the best solution for our company. And I've appreciated the salespeople that were honest enough to tell us and, and say that this may not be our core area of strength and you may want to look at other solutions because Again, it's about the long game and doing the right thing that builds trust in the future. I like it. What would it take today for a new tech company or a new tech seller to get your attention and potentially a meeting with you? Well, I think they have to show me that they understand my business, uh, that they at least have considered what some of my pain points would be, um, demonstrate that there's value. And, and show me how their product is going to help save my company or my industry from the pain points that we're having. So um, it's not got to be about building a bank account or reaching a certain achievement. In fact, I really don't want to know if, if there's something like that on the line. And, and you know, I, I say that because there's a lot of companies that are hiring entry-level uh, college graduates out there with a lot going on intellectually, but have zero industry experience. And so the challenge I see is how they overcome their their needs, um, you know, which may be paying for their college loans or gaining independence from living with their parents, uh, you know, and making a good impression to keep their jobs, but truly shifting their mindset to think about me and my company and what's in our best interest. And so I, I think that's the thing. I, I can't know all of those problems exist. I, I only care about doing what's best for my company. I love it. This continues to reinforce the first series that we did all about meeting preparation, doing the background, doing the research. Uh, if anyone hasn't listened to that series, please go back and check it out. This would, this would address nine out of 10 things um, that Jerry's mentioning here. Um, all right, so for context for our listeners, Sherry, how much, uh, quote-unquote, free time would you say you have for vendors every week? And that would include, you know, kind of the the cadence meetings that you might have for project status updates, lunches, happy hours. And then given your schedule, how far in advance do sellers need to um, schedule that with you? Well, I have some regular meetings, and if I count those in, I probably have about four hours a week that – I have for spending with vendors and you know of that maybe one or two hours would be at a happy hour event or you know some kind of um, lunch so it's not a lot of time and I, I understand that so I typically ask for um, you know regular meetings to be put on the calendar but one to two weeks out generally if, if I'm being invited to do something and I almost never in fact, I can't remember the last time that I accepted um, a really nice steak dinner because it usually comes with a big hook where I'm going to have to listen to three or four people hammer me to try to get a sale. And I would much rather spend that time eating a steak with my husband. Yes, yes. It feels like it feels like five years ago, ten years ago, that was the thing. Um, I, I feel like the culture shifted there a bit. Um so what's the last one for me? What's the one thing that sales a salesperson does most often to waste your time? Is it that request <laughs> for a dinner? Well, that that is always declined. 
Um, yep. But definitely cold calls. I hate cold calls. Um, don't answer the phone anymore. I get cold calendar invites. I think that is so annoying that you, you all of a sudden you see an invite on your calendar you're wondering, who is this person? I've never even talked to this person before. I think that's really rude. And spam mail is definitely the biggest time waster for me. So if I haven't gotten back to a person after two emails, you can stop. I'm not going to. Move on. It's not going to happen. So I guess yeah. the secret question there is, you really do see all our emails we send you. You just really are ignoring them. <laughs> You're already in my blocked sender list. <laughs> so I have one more no. follow-up that, that you wouldn't have seen because I want you to I want you to answer this one and and you brought it up really. You talked about SAP and you talked about budget. Something that I find every seller fall into a trap of is they tell me they only have a hundred thousand dollars in budget, and I always tell them that if you can solve a million dollar problem, they can find more budget. Now I know there's mm -hmm. budgets and I I understand that, but. Is there a way for someone like you to find more budget if the, 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 the cost of the product is really that number? It depends. I will say it really does depend on the value that it's going to bring. Um, so there have been times where we collaborate with uh, you know people outside of IT, such as manufacturing, to see if they really see the value in something. Will they pony up the resource? And, and definitely there have been times where we've had to pool our, our funds and budget in tight times. Um, and I would say it, it is a tactic that we customers do. Um, and sometimes it's real and sometimes it's not. I will tell you in oil and gas a few years ago, it was real. Um, you know, it may not be always the case when times are good. Yeah, no question. I guess in, in one instance uh, that I can think of when I was a manager years ago, someone told me something similar. They only have $175,000. What they're asking me for is literally $600,000. And I, I, I tried to coach this person to say, well, figure out how you can do, if it's a three-year deal, figure out how you can do a one-year deal. If they want it, you guys are going to have to find a way. Would, would you today be open to the, one of those conversations that says, look, there's just no way, but here's how we could break it up. You don't have to lease it all and do first year. What if I just sell it to you for one year? Are you, is, is a customer open to those ideas when really you get to a stalemate like that, but you still need the solution? Absolutely. I mean, uh, we're looking at a solution right now where I, I would say that the vendor is coming up with options that make it more affordable or even uh, you know more palatable for us because it may not have been in this year's budget. We're we're only in July, August, right? And uh, you know, at this time, it may not make the right sense for us to try to overspend in the current year. But if they can come up with a creative way to um, you know make that happen and broach over multiple years, then we might be able to make that work. So, you know, yeah, if there's a way to make it work, I think creativity is always appreciated in, in the customer's eyes. And the last follow on on this one, because this is like one of my pet peeves when I hear people say there's just no way, because there's always a way if, if both parties want to make something work. I hear a bazillion people say, well, they probably want to do OPEX, not capital CapEx. And I think when people say it nine times out of 10, they don't even understand the words they're really using. Um, <laughs> is that something you're open to share with, with sellers and really talk through the reasons behind it? I think managers nowadays have gotten to a point where they think if you can put it in one of the other buckets, they'll finally see the light and want to do the business. A dollar's a dollar to me, but I guess what is your take on someone saying, but it's OPEX or we could do this CapEx? 
Well, it's all about planning, really. I mean, and for our company, we have a fixed number that they try to stick uh, us with every year for IT CapEx. So it's easy to run out of funds uh, when you're given a pretty low number to begin with. And, And really, I mean, there's a whole lot of legality around what can be CapEx and what can't. A lot of these cloud solutions or subscriptions can't be CapEx anyway. OpEx is, is your your real budget and, and what you have as an ongoing basis. And, and so many companies uh, are, are really looking at keeping those figures flat. And, and rarely have I seen a company that was at the the level of what they would say is, is a healthy spend for that industry. It's usually way under. So there, there can be a game that's played internally to try to figure out how to pay for something, but I mean, there's there's certain limitations even with that, and it shouldn't matter. I mean, if if you want something, you either have have the money to do it or you don't, and you still have to pay it pay it out at the end of the month when the when the bill comes. So uh, you know, it's just funny money from that perspective, and not what you should be selling towards. Yeah, that's really good insight. Okay, so we're going to jump into some questions uh, from the listeners. Uh, these are ones that we ask um, on all the interviews. So they're more kind of about organization and and books and other podcasts that you may listen to. But given your schedule and your role, how do you keep yourself organized? How do you you know ensure that you're focusing on strategy and kind of balance that with the tactical day-to-day things that you have to do? What is your, what's your typical day look like? Well, uh, the... Typical day looks like it probably half meetings that are already set up, right? And the other half is is where I try to do um, development on our roadmap, development on thoughtware to share with different channel partners in my organization. And and since I have so many different um, organizations to serve, I really have to look at the calendar for the next two to three months to make sure that I'm hitting all of those on a regular basis. And um, I think one of the nice things is we, we kind of formalized our IT, we call it IT entitlement roadmap, and entitlement meaning what is the best you can be in the industry. And so I, I make sure that I'm spending an adequate amount of time every month uh, going to a one-day webinar or um, you know webinars and training to, to get up to date on the latest technologies out there and can speak the talk as well as understand what our options may be to, to serve certain pain points. How do you stay up with everything in the industry, whether it be IT, whether it be oil and gas? There's so much information that it's got to be flooding every day. How do you stay up to date? I mean, you could just say security alone. How do you keep up with all that content? (laughs) Well, a a couple of ways. Um, We do have a partnership with Gartner, and I utilize that on a regular basis, both from the research material that's out there. Um, We get advisory uh, services on our contracts that are coming up for renewal or that we're about to sign. And um, I use the Microsoft relationship as well, um, taking advantage of any of their um, one-day type activities that they are doing to get up to speed on the latest from a cybersecurity perspective. So uh, between you know looking at our, our leaders on the quadrants for different uh, pain points that we've had, like FISH, um, to uh, looking at solutions that might replace our current uh, antivirus, Kaspersky. Uh, you know, I, I use the uh, research tools that I have at our, my disposal. Well, you're just going to get about a thousand calls for antivirus sales. I'm sorry about that, but that's probably <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> well, we already know what's going to happen to them. They're going to get ignored. They're that's have to come that's right. <laughs> 
Uh, Sheree, what is, uh, and it doesn't have to be um, industry aligned at all. What uh, we always ask about book recommendations. What are you reading? Uh, what do you recommend to the listeners? Well, I just um, went to a uh, Gartner CIO symposium recently, and um, there was a, a very good you know, set of speakers, as they always have. And it's kind of neat once in a while when you have a lady that speaks to a group of uh, lady CIOs. So uh, the latest book that I downloaded is called Insight, uh, which has to do, I guess, uh, oops, sorry. Insight is... Uh, by Tasha Urich, and uh, has to do with self-awareness. So it's funny that you said you were just talking about self-awareness in your last podcast. Yeah. Very nice. All right, we'll, we'll include a link to that uh, for the listeners. And then what about podcasts, or do you listen to TED Talks, or what about uh, just from an audio standpoint? Uh, well, I'm definitely listening to Bobby and Brian. Uh, oh, nice. So... <laughs> One of my friends just told me about that. So I started listening to that uh, about a month ago and actually have shared it with some of uh, my sales reps. So hopefully you'll get more traction and uh, start getting them trained up. Very nice. Uh, what about um, going kind of going back on the book front? Uh, mm-hmm. Favorite book mm-hmm. of all time? Out of Africa. Out of Africa. Yeah. What's has nothing to do with uh, uh, <laughs> well, you'll have to read it. Okay. <laughs> so right. it's it about it. It's actually a true story. I like documentaries and and uh, nonfiction when I can okay. get it, and and it's actually a nonfiction about a, a lady in Denmark who went to Africa to uh, run a dairy farm. Okay. Well, now you've added mm-hmm. another question because you said documentaries. What's your favorite okay. documentary? <laughs> I like documentaries about fish because okay. I uh, I'm a avid scuba diver, so I like you know if I could have uh, grown up doing exactly what I dreamed about doing I would be working for BBC as a, a film uh, photographer and and uh, videographer. Very interesting. So last question, then we'll do some mm-hmm. wrap up tie together. What causes are most important to you and Anything you'd like to point to the listeners and, and have them support or, or uh, be a part of? Well, I, uh, our company has an organization called Ascend Cares that's um, employee funds that are matched 100% by our owners. And we do a number of projects throughout the year. Uh, last year, we spent a lot of time helping with Hurricane Harvey relief. And I was really pleased that uh, I had a, a tech salesman who was new to the account, didn't really know him very well, hadn't made a great first impression, but then said, hey, we'd like to help. And I was like, all right. And after that, he has really fit in with our group very well. He has a heart for for helping, and and it was a a great way for him to make that impression. So uh, we do other organization-type events we have planned for later on this year, such as we're going to be working with Camp Hope and, and doing some technology donations there and making a UPC system up for them. And uh, we do regular work with Project Cure as well, who send medical supplies over to third-world countries. So if anyone's interested, I can definitely put them to work. That's great. Um, so we, and you talked about this from a, from a book referral standpoint, but in, in five sixths of our interviews have been 
with females. And given this is this tends to have the reputation of a very male-dominated industry, um, what advice do you have for female listeners? I, we mentioned this on the last podcast. We've got a number of our female listeners that have been networking with other listeners and with other interviewers or interviewees that we've had on the podcast. What advice do you have for female listeners that are new to tech sales, new to the industry? I think the the number one thing is to overcome um, any shyness or uh, you know any of your insecurities and and don't project that onto other people. Um, just assume that you are just as capable as anyone to build that relationship with someone that may be same or opposite sex, and and really. Pay attention to the, the same triggers that, that anyone should. Um, you know, you have to be aware of what's going on in the meeting. You have to be a good listener. You have to really provide that value. And, uh, you know, don't bring uh, your baggage from home with you. Really, you know, be on the spot with your delivery and what you're supposed to be doing. So, you know, I, I had a recent... Uh, mentor lunch with um, a young lady who's going into consulting and she's wondering what is it I need to be doing and and it's obvious when you start talking about it that it, it really doesn't have to do with uh, gender it just has to do a lot with what's going on in your own life what's going on in in your mind as far as where you think your your flaws are and if you focus too long on the flaws you probably will be flawed in front of whoever you're pre- presenting to so it's really much more important to focus on your strengths and make them excel awesome advice so Sheree, people are going to want to talk to you we know you're going to ignore all of them especially if they're tech sellers <laughs> people want to be mentored and mentee to people like you is there any way someone can find you on the web twitter linkedin do you have a blog anything you want to point them to i can definitely be found on linkedin great well with that uh thank you so much for being on any any parting advice any i guess any advice for us we, we're we're building out a number of these series our next series is going to be all about uh the challenger cell it's a book about really helping all the sellers up their game in terms of in terms of uh, getting prepared for meetings um challenging the process a bit and bringing a lot of value to the customers but what advice do you have for us Sheree, as we kind of build out the roadmap for our upcoming shows the way I've seen a lot of companies going to in tech is, is going towards um, a younger profile, maybe someone straight out of school. And I know that there are a lot of hungry uh, listeners out there that, that want to learn. So I'm wondering if you've built relationships with these tech companies that are hiring these younger profiles um, and, and build that relationship so it can be more proactively done from a training standpoint. That's great. Great advice. Sheree, I, I appreciate it. I know this has uh, been over an hour of your day. I know how precious time is, and we really, really value your thoughts and your advice to our listeners. Maybe one day down the road we can ask you for a part two to this, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brian and Bobby. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com. And follow them on Twitter at Bobby Bryan Sales.